the rare disease community is inspirational, brave, and empowering. Welcome to Insightful Moments, My Vibe, from PTC Therapeutics. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to PTC's Insightful Moments, My Vibe, where we're elevating the voices of people within the rare disease community to inspire, inform, and comfort. My name is Emily Heinz, and I'm the Global Clinical Patient Engagement Liaison at PTC Therapeutics. Recently, we attended the Friedrichs Ataxia Symposium, hosted by the Friedrichs Ataxia Research Alliance and the Children's Hospital of Philadelphia in King of Prussia, Pennsylvania. Here, I spoke to a number of people who are affected by Friedrichs Ataxia. Friedrichs ataxia, or FA, is a rare, inherited, degenerative disease that damages the spinal cord, peripheral nerves, and the cerebellum, causing movement issues as well as other related symptoms. Today, we'll share some of the stories we heard, focusing on four guests in the FA community. We'll give these guests a platform to speak about their journeys with FA, the connection between physical and mental health, and so much more. We begin our conversation today with Jean, who was diagnosed with FA over 40 years ago. Back then, there was practically no emotional support for those who had been diagnosed, which influenced her decision to become a social worker later on. She also speaks about the connection between mental health and physical health and about the importance of community. Well, Jean, I want to first thank you so much for joining us for PTC's Insightful Moments, My Vibe. We are really excited to be with you here today. I would love for you to start by introducing yourself and telling the listeners a little bit about who you are. My name is Jean Walsh. I'm a social worker. I used to be a grant writer. I am married and I've had Friedrich's Itaxia. I was diagnosed 40 Two years ago, yeah. Can you explain a little bit about that diagnosis process and kind of how you came about to getting diagnosed and what the process looks like? Yeah, so I was diagnosed in 1981 before they discovered the gene, which was in 1996. I became symptomatic probably around 15, 16, somewhere there. We start the process of diagnoses when I was 17, and I got diagnosed when I was 19. Hmm. So actually, compared to some other people, and because it was before they ID'd the gene, two years was long, but now looking back and hearing other stories, it's Not that long, especially considering. So what were some of the symptoms that you noticed that initially started, you know, looking into a diagnosis of some sort? For me, I used to be a big horseback rider. So with any sport, really, like you're supposed to kind of be your body is doing its thing. And you're like paying attention to the game or in the case of horseback riding, where you're going, what fence you're going to jump over. But 
I started like really looking down at my hands when I had been writing since I was six years old. So it was tough. Yeah. yeah. I also noticed part of the competition that I was involved in, you would walk the course before you'd ride it. And um, I would always be looking down and getting yelled at by my instructor because mm. I should have been looking up and listening to them and not looking at the rocks that I might trip over or whatever. Right. Yeah. So that balance is, yeah. is huge. Yeah. And then my parents, of course, noticed me being like not having balance and coordination issues. So then once you received that diagnosis, you had that confirmation that it was Friedrich's ataxia. What did life look like after that? Were there resources? Were there treatment options? What did that look like? Yeah. So first, I want to take one step back. The neurologist who diagnosed me, brilliant diagnostician, crappy, crappy bedside manner. So my hearing the diagnoses could be summed up in this list. Freedoxytaxia, no cure, no treatment, get ready to die by 35 and use a wheelchair by 25. And, oh, yeah, you should pay attention to your feet. I'm like, my feet? Who like, cares about my feet? I'm 19. I'm supposed to be doing things. Right. And then he had me leave the room, and he told my parents I'd probably be a substance abuser. And, oh, which they didn't tell me until I was, like, in my 30s. Wow. And most of what he said didn't come to pass. Mm-hmm. And wow. There was nothing back then. They they weren't recommending, like, any kind of support emotionally. And I feel like that's huge, of course. That's part of why I wanted to become a social worker. My dad made me work out, but no one recommended that. He was just like, you keep moving. And he wasn't really sympathetic about it. The, how it was hard, but that's okay because it it really did help. Wow, well, thanks so much for sharing and giving some perspective on kind of, you know, what that process looked like. Being diagnosed then to hearing, I'm sure you're, you know, connected in the community and hearing about a diagnosis now. How do you think the two differ with kind of where science has led us and where advancements has led us? How does that look? Yeah, I think... Because it's rare, it's still similar in that it's a big odyssey for people. Mm -hmm. What seems to really not be similar is like when the doctor begins to recognize that he can just do a blood test. When my doctors began to recognize that they did like nerve impulse tests, which... I didn't have as much pain as people talk about, but they can be pretty painful. Yeah. And it wasn't so definitive, so it was definitely some kind of ataxia, but there were doctors questioning that it was Friedrichs. But after they identified the gene, then 
they did the blood test and it was verified. Definitely Friedrichs. <laughs> what does life look like today? Kind of give us a glimpse into what life looks like for you today, both in the context of FA and not. Yeah. My fatigue has, I mean, I've had FA for 42 years. So my fatigue has gotten a lot harder to deal with. So my days are basically like work out, take care of my house a little bit, take care of, I, I'm not working, but I do vol- a lot of volunteering, which is good. So I'm taking care of that. At least I'm using my brain a little bit. <laughs> and yeah, taking care of this one, my service job, Wendy. And by four, four o'clock, you, it's usually four o'clock. I hit the, a fatigue wall and I can't, I don't really get much done after that. Yeah. How would you explain the fatigue that you feel? How would you explain it to someone that might not really understand what that means in the FA context? It's just like sometimes you just hit the wall and like, I don't know, you're too tired, your brain fog, or at least I do. I have brain fog and I can't get a lot done. Mm-hmm. And um, also people think like you can like sleep it off. No, you mm-hmm. cannot sleep it off. You can have a really awesome night's sleep and mm-hmm. wake up and you're still fatigued. Yeah. Or you're still going to hit that wall at 4 p.m. Mm-hmm. even if you're feeling great. Yeah. If you're talking to a family of someone who was just diagnosed with FA, what are some things that you would say to them or some advice that you would give them? I definitely try and, I mean, this is a cool time for FA. Not that I don't want it for young people, I totally do. But I'm jealous of them that they're probably going to, you know, they're not going to have to live their whole life with Mm -hmm. FA. So that is what I would say. Such a full time, we have a treatment now. So, and the other really important thing is like, just be a part of the community. I often talk to a lot of parents of teenagers and sometimes your teen does not want to have anything to do with the community, which I totally understand, but that doesn't mean mom and dad and any siblings can have to not be part. They can definitely be part. Mm -hmm. And then when the teen is ready, they can be part. Right. At what point did you find your community and what did that look like? Did you go out looking for that sense of community? Were those resources provided to you? What did that look like? Yeah, the resource, nothing, nothing. That resource definitely was not provided to me. How I really started getting involved was they were, I think they were editing the Ataxian. And I was like writing little sentences that they put on social media. It's kind of inexplicable, but Mm -hmm. it's just like, when you have FA or I'm sure any of the rare disease where People really don't know what the heck you're talking about. And you're trying to explain them 
to them what the disease is about. And when you find their community and you don't have to explain it, mm-hmm. it's the best feeling. Yeah, we've heard that a lot of, you could kind of skip that introduction of, I have FA and this is what it is. You jump right over that and you just get into learning and connecting and sharing resources, yeah. which I think is invaluable. It's so important. You spoke earlier about your neurologist. Can you give listeners some insight as to what other specialists you might see? Is it just a neurologist? Is there anybody else that's a part of your care team that you see? Yeah. So predictsataxia is metabolic in nature. So I see endocrinologists because also due to FA, I have osteoporosis. I do have to like monitor my blood sugar because I'm at the upper end of normal, but I can like veer into pre-diabetic. So I have to keep it, not eat so many cookies. <laughs> I have an endocrinologist, even though I was making fun about my feet earlier, I see a podiatrist. I have primary, I'm kind of struggling with my primary care physician right now. You've probably heard this from other people, but it's just hard, hard to find I don't expect you to know everything about FA. I do expect you to, like, look it up and find it out and talk to my neurologist about it. So I'm struggling finding that right person, but that's my... Am I missing anyone? No, I think that's it for my team right now. Awesome. Yeah. Thanks for sharing, giving us a glimpse of, you know... All the different doctors that, you know, I'm sure you have to make appointments for and spend time seeing. So I feel like it gives an additional layer to everything that goes into living with FA. Yeah. Another question I wanted to ask you was there was a, a way that you could kind of explain the FA community or the feelings that you have when you are at events like this. What are some things that come to mind? Well, of course, connected, but... Yeah, mostly mostly connected and understood and just that we're all on the same team and we have everybody's battle is not exactly the same but is similar enough. Mm-hmm. And are there any words that you have for people who are looking into treatments for FA or researchers who are looking at FA? Any words to them? of what what that means to you? First and foremost is like immense gratitude and really thankful and gosh, mostly grateful Mm -hmm. and super glad that Vera has cultivated a space where it's like so collaborative. Mm -hmm. Like keep on collaborating, people. Yeah. (laughs) Thank you. (laughs) That's awesome. And I'd love to hear a little bit about you and a little bit about your passion as a social worker and kind of what brought you into that role. Well, social work. Jeez. I just, when I turned 50, I was like writing grants and that it's an important thing. And I liked doing it. It was really fun and challenging intellectually, but it's 
can be quite solitary, mm. and I'm not really <laughs> solitary person. I'm more in the extrovert side for sure. So I decided I wanted to go into counseling. Doctoral programs seemed like they took too long, so I chose social work, but it hasn't like quite panned out how I wanted to, but I can still use what I know and bring that to the community. I think like worldwide really people are, there's a growing understanding that mental health and physical health are not separate. <laughs> mm-hmm. Which I never really thought that, but they're definitely not for many reasons, but yeah. Physical as well as just like if you're struggling with depression, are you gonna get on your trike and take a ride? I don't think so. Mm-hmm. Or whatever it is that you do to take care of yourself. Eating right, those things. Yeah, no, I think those are also important. And I know that talking to the community a lot, we've heard how COVID was really hard for people and that isolation and, yeah. you know, how, do you have any thoughts on kind of what you were hearing from others in the community of those times of isolation and not being able to be together and some of the implications that that has had? Yeah. It's like a lot of other diseases. FA can be like incredibly isolating. And I think I'm fortunate in that I know I slur my speech a little bit, but it's not like too, too bad. People can understand me. But some people with FA are like, it's really hard to understand them. They have trouble communicating. They can't really hear. They can't have difficulties with their vision. So that's isolating in and of itself. And having a rare disease that people don't really understand. And then when the non-COVID times are, you at least have like multiple occasions throughout the year when you see other people Mm -hmm. in your community. But it was tough not having that. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, that's what we've heard. And people are so, so happy to be back in person and making those in-person connections and just really being intentional with that time that that they have with one another because it is so important. Yeah, for sure. Well, Jean, is there anything that you feel like I didn't ask you that you want to share with our listeners? Is there anything that that I might have missed that you want to share? I don't think that you missed it, but I did talk about like my husband, mm-hmm. who is awesome. <laughs> and Tell us about him. Yeah, we've been married for 20 years. Oh, congratulations. Thank you. Yeah. I can be a little bit on the intense side, and he's more laid back than I am. And so I love that. And, um, you know, I can be hard on myself, and he helps me back away from that. Yeah, it's it's nice. When you have a rare disease, to be able to, like, be with someone who can just be there for you. Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah, well, it sounds like you guys are a great team, and you're lucky (laughs) to have one another. Yeah. It really is. Yeah. That's beautiful. Well, Jean, thank you so much for taking the time out of your evening and spending it with us. It was 
so great learning about you and sharing some insights about FA. And, you know, our goal is to share this and to spread awareness of, of FA. And I wish you the best of luck with everything in your future. Thank you. Thank you. Next, we spoke with Dylan, who received his FA diagnosis when he was a senior in high school. He tells us how difficult it was to deal with his diagnosis on a social level at that critical point in his life. Dylan also shares how therapy, journaling, and mental health advocacy has helped him on his journey. First off, thank you, Dylan, for taking the time out of your evening to talk to us. Of course. We are so excited to have you on PTC's Insightful Moments, My Vibe podcast. Thank so you I would, for asking. Yes, of course. So I would love to start off by having you introduce yourself and tell us a little bit about you. Well, hi, my name is Dylan. I am 27. I'll be 28 in December. I've been clinically diagnosed with FA for about 10 years now. Actually, it is 10 years last week. I live at home in upstate New York. And I am the only member of my family with the disease. So, and it's been a challenge. We'll just say that. It's been an emotional, mental roller coaster I have not been wanting to be on for a decade. Well, thanks for your vulnerability and sharing that. I think it might be good for our listeners to kind of go back 10 years. What were some of the symptoms that were being seen? You know, kind of what started seeking out a diagnosis? So uh, (laughs) the first symptom was kind of, I have been uncoordinated and just struggled a lot with like pretty much getting hit in the face with every sports ball there is. That was kind of the turning point. We were like, are you just uncoordinated or what's going on? So I went to the first kind of neurologist and he did not have very nice things to say about the experience. So we went to get a second opinion and that's where they clinically diagnosed me. But it was a year long process. And so over that year, I had been falling up the stairs at our old house and I fell a couple times in the bathtub and we were like, yeah, you're not uncoordinated. There's something else going on. So, and then I got clinically diagnosed October of 2013, my senior year of high school. That was definitely something I had never even thought was going to happen. And so when I was diagnosed, I kind of kept it to myself at first. Mm -hmm. And so like a month after it took me a while to kind of process, oh, hey, here's this diagnosis, like no cure, no treatment, good luck. Mm -hmm. 
Mm-hmm. And I was like, that's when the mental game started. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I'm like, oh boy, I'm not ready for this. Yeah. And so after that, I had a meeting with the entire staff at my high school and the principal, the superintendent, and my mom was with me. And that was not how it was very emotional and it was not how I wanted it to go. Mm-hmm. Granted, a lot of teachers were very accepting and opening doors for me and helping me with school because it was my senior year. But a lot of them kind of were a little disbelief, and so was I. And after the meeting, they asked me if I wanted to tell anyone else or Mm -hmm. what I wanted to do, what the course was to go. And I honestly kind of felt that I didn't want to overwhelm everyone with everything, but I knew that the symptoms were going to happen quickly. Mm -hmm. So I was like, I fought with myself for like two weeks because I'm like, what do I do? So there were a couple of teachers who were open to the idea of sitting in with me and I told my entire class what was going on. That was one of the hardest things I had to do because not only did I have to bring a level of vulnerability, I had to trust these people that they weren't going to turn Mm -hmm. and use it against me. Granted, that thought, sadly, changed after graduation. And unfortunately, that's kind of the course for people 17, 18, 16 years old. And I unfortunately don't really talk to a lot of those friends from high school anymore. Mm -hmm. And that's kind of been one of the hardest things I've dealt with with it. The diagnosis is the loss of family and friends that just can't deal with it because it's constantly changing. And it's always in one thing after another and a new thing. And it's not something I would wish for any enemy or like anyone in general because mm-hmm. it's just mentally and emotionally and physically it's exhausting when you meet people now has that perception changed of like when you bring up fa or if you bring up or how you bring it up what does that look like now it's like over the course of the past decade, mm-hmm. it's definitely changed. It's been good and bad. Honestly, that's something that's like not talked about is because 
the community itself is wonderful. Everyone knows who each other are, thanks to social media, but ultimately, we are all different people. We all have different points that we're trying to get across. We all have different symptoms. And I get that from a research standpoint. That's a hard thing to fix, if you want to call it that, or whatever, because these patients, my community, I guess, we're all at different points with diagnosis, and some people have fully accepted things, some people haven't, but we're not all the same, like I said, and adjusting to that perspective, I think this community needs to be allowed to be individuals mm -hmm. and not this structure of like, oh, this is what's going to happen to you at this point, and this is what's going to happen to you at this point. Mm -hmm. It's like, yeah, some has happened, but some it's like, you were so far off, but okay. Mm -hmm. <laughs> like, yeah, so. everybody's journey is different. Everybody's progression is yeah. different. It's every individual is so different. Yeah. So you talked about some of the difficulties you've had physically, emotionally, mentally. If someone is listening and is also struggling with some of those things, what are resources that you've turned to, people that you've turned to that help you in some of those tough times? Yeah. That's also changed over the past decade. My entire life, I've been very open about who I am, and I've been bullied for that. And it reached a point where I needed to seek help. So I've been in and out of therapy my entire life. But over the past, like, five or six years, granted, there was a global pandemic, which no one was planned on. <laughs> but I've gone back to therapy, and I've worked on a lot of things. But now I'm, like, starting to get at the root of kind of why I'm struggling the way I am. And I've also started to journal. And I was very against that for a long time because I'm like, no, like, what? No, I'm not doing this. And then I started doing it because with FA, I've lost, like, a lot of the artistic aspects that I've miss doing like I used to love musical theater and I used to be in the musical and loved singing and unfortunately that's coming gone and so I've kind of turned this outlet of the journaling and writing kind of my story but from a third person perspective and it's kind of been helpful and kind of 
self-therapeutic in a way because it's like you're able to look at your own self in a different perspective and it's not something that's talked about I don't really think I know of anyone who else does it but I do it and it works for me because I've seen it done in ways in TV shows and movies and entertainment. And I'm just like, I wonder if that would be helpful. Yeah. So, And I think like we said earlier, like obviously every individual is different. Yeah. You know, I think what some people find helpful is going to be different. And I think it's so great that you have found something that is helpful for you. Yep. I think that that is you know, really, really great that you found that outlet that you find beneficial. And I thank you for being vulnerable and, and sharing that with us. Cause I, I do think it's important that people have an outlet when they yeah. go on. It is taking me some time, but it's not like it happened overnight mm-hmm. where I was like, Oh, I need to change something. Let's do this. Yeah. It was something that I was like struggling with for at least the past seven or eight years and then when the pandemic hit I was just like Mm. yeah okay maybe it's time to figure some stuff out because I was able to self-reflect and I was like no one's going anywhere so we might as well do something yeah exactly so tell me a little bit about Dylan today what do you like to do what are your hobbies what does life look like Give us some insight. Like everything else, it has changed, Mm -hmm. and I've changed as a person. I'm kind of starting to, like, polish and finish my voice and what I want to advocate for Mm -hmm. and what specifically I think needs to be addressed. And so... I'm a very big mental health advocate, and I have been since I was young. But just kind of over the past three or four months, I've started to realize kind of how inaccessible, I guess is the correct term, the world is. And kind of how we have these standards that aren't built with disabled, let alone rare disabled patients or people in around the globe. And I'm just like, that's like my mission is like to make the world so much more accessible for so many people. And I know it's not going to happen overnight. And I know one voice won't change anything, but it could potentially lead to conversations. Mm -hmm. So that's kind of who I am now. There's also a part of me that's wanting to kind of either launch my own podcast focused on how inaccessible the world is and what needs to change and I think that would do really good so nobody steal my ideas please (laughs) but then I'm also thinking about 
writing either a book or going back to school, which no one really knows about, but I kind of want to go back to school to become a TV and film writer because I think that Hollywood in general kind of needs to get a little bit more inclusive when it comes to people with disabilities and telling those stories mm -hmm. because not all the world is beautiful women and shirtless men. Yeah. <laughs> like, that, yeah. that's not the world we live in. It's definitely entertaining, yeah. but it's not the answer. Well, it sounds like you have some really good ideas, and I know that whatever you decide, you're going to be great at. And I okay. love that you're, you know, using your experience and your voice, you know, to hopefully make a positive impact in the future, yeah. which is really inspirational. So... Thanks for sharing. Well, thank You're you. going to do some great things. Thank you for asking. Yes, of course. Tell me about something that F.A. has taught you. <sighs> That's a good question. F.A. <laughs> has um, taught me a lot, but deep down, I think F.A. has kind of made me focus myself on acceptance. And it's kind of taught me that, yes, this horrible thing is happening to me and a lot of other people that I've met, but, and I can accept it, but ultimately it's, is the world ready to accept that? Mm -hmm. And if not, what can we change to make it better? Mm -hmm. So... Ultimately, that's the thing that's mostly made me personally realize what F.A. means to me. Love that. Is there anything that you feel like I didn't ask you or that you want to share? Or any parts that maybe I left out? No, I, I think without getting too deep... <laughs> into everything that's happened. I think that's kind of the most important kind of overall summary of who Dylan is and how this past hackett is gone for me with F.A. So. Well, I might be biased, but I think Dylan's pretty awesome. Thank you. You're welcome. So thank you so much for joining me and talking to me and sharing your story and wish you the best of luck with what sounds like a very exciting future. Thank you, I hope it is as well. Finally, we're going to hear from two sisters in the FA community, Dragana, who has FA, and Slavica, who is here to support her sister. Dragana and Slavica live in Croatia, and Dragana tells us how a lack of medical information left her fearful following her diagnosis. Dragana dealt with this by going online to learn more. They both share how being at this event has helped their fear by connecting them to the community. First, here's Dragana. Mm -hmm. 
Well, I want to start by thanking you for taking the time out of your day today to talk with us on PTC's Insightful Moments My Vibe podcast. I'd love to just start by having you introduce yourself and telling us a little bit about you. You're welcome. It's my pleasure to meet you and to be here and that you give me an opportunity to say something about myself. So my name is Trakana and I'm 33 years old and I come from Croatia. And the reason because I'm here is about my rare disease is Friedrich Ataxia. It's a genetic and progressive illness. So we are here to find out something more. Well, we are yeah. so glad that you're here all the way from Croatia and hoping yeah. that you learn a ton this weekend and are able to go home with some new connections and yeah. some new information. So tell me a little bit about even before your diagnosis, what are some things that you were noticing that kind of made you want to seek out a diagnosis? So for all my life, I have been a little bit clumsy and I was practicing dance, like majorette dance and everything was fine. I think till 25 years old when I had. So then something started to bother me. I was a little bit more clumsier and a little bit more insecure in things what I do. So it was something strange for me and I thought maybe I was tired from the work or from the college or daily usually what I do. So I didn't notice anything till the last five years. It was really hard for me to walk let's say a line or a hand uh, in a hand I was carrying a glass of water and it's always was uh, spilled something from it so then we tried to find out what was my problem because it was not just I'm tired it was something else so two years ago I made a genetic test and the result came as um, the illness for Friedrich Ataxia. Yeah. And that day when you received that diagnosis, do you kind of remember some of those feelings or oh, your yes. original thoughts or kind of what went through your mind? Yeah, uh, so my husband and I uh, were very scared and I think we cried about two weeks in a row till this wasn't too clear to us that okay now we have the name of the illness so next we can fight against that and we can see how we can beat the illness yeah. so wow we've definitely heard a lot that it takes some processing mm -hmm. time and you know you have yeah. to take that time to you know really let that sink in and then like you said figure out your next steps and yeah, we were just searching on the internet about it. And in Croatia, you don't have um, so much information. So everything was outside from America. Some um, I was seeing some symposiums about uh, the, the illness so we can understand what will happen or maybe not happen because it's individual mm -hmm. for every person. So we don't know what to expect, but uh, we we focused on the good things that I have a later onset and 
I practiced a lot when I was uh, younger. Mm -hmm. So that keeps me still in a form, let's say it like that. Yeah. Yeah. And how important is it to you to be able to continue to walk and to have that balance? And, you know, how important is that? For you to, to keep going and for that to keep being your future? It's a big importance because I, I've i learned to help other people to do something and I I don't like to be dependent about somebody. Oh, can you give me a plate? Can you give me a glass of water? I want to do it by myself while I still can. Mm-hmm. So I think the best way is just to to stay focused on myself and uh, one thing at a time, mm-hmm. what I can do, so I can do by myself only. Mm-hmm. Not asking uh, everything to be served on the plate and mm-hmm. on the table. So, yeah. If you were talking to a family of someone in Croatia, mm-hmm. like you said, there's not a lot of information or people that you know mm-hmm. of. If you were talking to parents of someone's child or an individual who was just diagnosed with FA, mm-hmm. what would you say to them? Actually, I've spoke to them and the kid, which is uh, which also has FA, they are a little bit close with meeting the little guy with me because they don't want to show him what you can expect from the disease in the future. Mm-hmm. So... They are a little bit, I would say, protective mm-hmm. with him. Yeah. But they like to exchange the experiences mm-hmm. with me. How can I do this? How can I do that? What's the best way to find the focus on uh, make something with, uh, the, with the exercise or yeah. everything? So also I have a cousin which has that, the same disease. But when I ask her something to to tell me about it, because she has it a long time ago, she is really close person, so she doesn't want to talk about mm-hmm. it. Or even her family, they keep it inside the family for a long, long time, mm-hmm. and we didn't know what's wrong with mm-hmm. my cousin. So maybe if they say it earlier, then we could do something about it in the first phase of that illness. Not now at the end when when the illness taken her. We've heard that a lot, that a lot of different families deal with it different ways. Some are, we're not going to talk about it. We're just going to kind of deal with it internally where others are open to sharing. And yeah. So you're here from Croatia at a FARA Mm -hmm. conference. Tell me how you learned about FARA and what, made you want to come all this way for this event? So, like I said, my husband and I made a lot of Google (laughs) search about everything and about symposiums. And now you have um, Facebook, Instagram, and everything is available on the the net. So you can see the, the peoples, the companies, the doctors, and everything. So... It is the good thing because 20 years ago, nothing from this uh, part didn't, uh, it didn't exist. So you couldn't reach any information about that. Only if you travel, but you don't know where, where you can go and travel and ask somebody mm-hmm. about that. So it's, 
it's a good way. That's really great. You talked a little bit about, you know, being online and, you know, social media and learning about, you know, a lot about FA and some of the companies that are doing research to find treatments for FA. So what, how does that make you feel when you see different companies researching FA and, you know, working really hard to look for treatments for it? How does that make you feel? In my country, the doctors are closed about this illness. Mm -hmm. They don't even, they know where to, to put the illness in sort of ataxia. But they don't know anything about symptoms or treatments or so on. So when I googled for FARA and stuff like that, they showed a lot of interest about the treatments. But it was very difficult for me to come to their hospitals and to be a part of some trial mm. because I live in another country and I'm not the citizen of mm. America so I cannot be a part of that study so mm. that's a little bit yeah. bad for me <laughs> but yeah. well it's important for yeah. us to hear and learn how it is important for that to be an option for for everybody that yeah that's dealing with FA. So thanks for sharing that and, and bringing that up. So tell me a little bit about you. You know, what are some things that you like to do and what do you like? I like to read the books, to hang out with friends, to go for walks. And now it is difficult for me to walk, but I used to love that because we were dancing a lot with the Marjorettes and we traveled around the world. So it was a good experience for me because I saw all the cultures and the ways how the people live in other countries. So that's something what um, makes me interested in, let's say it like that. Mm -hmm. So That's awesome. Yeah. Is there anything that you feel like I didn't ask you that you want to share, whether it be about FA or you or your experience here? Is there anything? Maybe the part work and yeah. be ill. So yeah. I work at the reception mm -hmm. in the hotel. Now I'm on the sick leave because I still don't know what will happen with me. But in our state, if employer get person with a disability to work in his company, the government can pay some money for mm -hmm. them to encourage the the possibility of work for that person. But maybe it's a problem because I work on the reception and I need to stand a lot mm -hmm. hours or I have to carry something and I cannot also do that now. Uh, so they need to focus on me and try to find maybe a job which is uh, less um, hard for me. Mm -hmm. So let's say I I can sit not all the time but it's not good also sit eight hours in, <laughs> in a day but maybe some sitting jobs with a computer or something like that so mm -hmm. they can find a way to make me busy so I don't uh, just sit at home and that I I don't know fell in some depressions or because I want to be useful for company I work for mm -hmm. for 
Yeah. It sounds like, you know, there's some accommodations that, you know, yeah. need to be made. So you can work and you can do things like yeah. that, but also meet your needs of, like mm. you said, standing long times and, yeah. um, you know, that stability and that balance mm-hmm. really meeting you where you're at, but also allowing you with that environment and that workspace. Mm. So that's, thank you for sharing that and bringing that up. I appreciate you're it. You're welcome. Yeah. Well, I appreciate you being here and sharing your story and coming so far to, <laughs> to learn more and, I hope that this weekend is everything that you'd hope for it to be and more. And I hope, like I said, you go back with connections and information. And I really wish you the best of luck in the future. Thank you very much. Thank you. (laughs) Finally, here's Dragona's sister, Slavica. Thank you so much for joining us. So I'd love for you to just introduce yourself. Thank you. So we are very glad that we are here with uh, you. And my name is Slavica. I'm Dragona's sister. I'm just a carer of uh, Friedrich Ataxia, and um, we are here to collect information about uh, the disease and the treatments so we could uh, help our sister. Yeah, We met a lot of people. That's great. <laughs> I think it's so great that you're here with your yeah. sister, and I think that that's probably such a great support system for her. So I'd love to hear your perspective of, you know, obviously as sisters, what was that day like when you found out? about her diagnosis. Do you remember kind of some of those feelings and that conversation? Well, we didn't know about that disease. So uh, we were really uh, scared when we uh, read uh, the symptoms on Google and heard uh, from other people. But uh, that was a little information about that. And we didn't know how to help her. So she don't live with us. She's far away from us mm-hmm. and she's with uh, her husband, and we were really worried about her. Mm-hmm. So so now, since it's been a little bit since her diagnosis, and you all are here getting that information, do you feel like you've met a group of people that can maybe answer some of those questions or build that community? Yes, we really saw a lot of people, and we saw they are functioning well. So it's easier when we see, mm-hmm. um, because we don't know what will happen next and that makes easier the situation for us. So we can a little bit prepare <laughs> for our mental health and her. Right. So it's really hard because you, you never know what you can expect mm-hmm. next year or for two years or 30 years <laughs> long yeah. ahead of us. Yeah. yeah. If you had to think some years down into the road, what do you hope to see for your sister five years, 10 years from now? Well, I hope she'll be able to do things she likes mm-hmm. in uh, whatever way she wants and uh, can. So that's enough for me. Mm-hmm. Well, um, a lot of people been here, uh, younger, uh, older. So I think they don't have a bad life. <laughs> they are really pretty normal. Their activities... Uh, they can move, they can communicate with others, they can function very well in community and uh, much wider than mm-hmm. I <laughs> thought. So this is pretty cool. 
that there are possibilities. There are uh, good examples of good practices and there are doctors and uh, much more people that are familiar for mm-hmm. this disease. So I think it will be good. Yeah. <laughs> I think it will be better than we expected because we didn't know and we thought, okay, this is it. <laughs> we don't know how to <laughs> how to go further. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So it was really cool to come here and to collect all this information. Mm-hmm. So we are really glad to have bonding and to have people who knows about the, the, this disease mm-hmm. and who knows the way, yeah. how uh, can they help with their informations. Well, I think it's so great that you two have each other and you know, that you're here with your sister, came all this way to learn and to support Yeah, her. it was a very long trip, <laughs> but <Yes>. it uh, <laughs> it was worth it, really. Yeah. yeah, yeah, I didn't expect it that this organization and everything about FARA and uh, Friedrich Ataxia is uh, so uh, wide open and it brings people together. Mm-hmm. Yeah, we can do uh, much things together mm-hmm. than one person itself. Yep. So this is very, very good. Yeah. Well, that's perfect. I think that's a perfect way to end this. So thank you both so much for being here. And as a sister, I think that that's so great that you all are here to support each other and information gather and then bring all those connections back home. So thank you so much. We really appreciate it. (laughs) Thank you. Thank you, everyone, for listening to this episode of Insightful Moments, My Vibe and for supporting voices within the rare disease community. Thank you as well to everyone who shared their story on today's episode. Please visit our website at www.ptcinsightfulmoments.com for more stories and resources. If any of the stories resonated with you today, please let us know by leaving a review wherever you are listening or by sharing the show with a friend. I'm Emily Heinz, and this has been Insightful Moments My Vibe from PTC Therapeutics.